Hey everybody, it's DG. We are about to bring you part one of a highlight show from 2018. We got some of the best episodes from this year, mashed up, cut up. It's going to be amazing. So here's part one of the best of Seeking Wisdom from 2018. I was just explaining this to the team because we're going to start doing more top top of the funnel content, mm-hmm. but it's all been bottom top of the funnel content. So what's like, that mean? Writing. So when you look at your funnel, right, like your your top of the funnels is where you're getting a lot of the visits. And for us, it was more high leverage to write a blog post about pricing, about discounts, about all of these different things that you have to seek out than to write stuff about like, let's do a founder interview with DC or let's do like... DC's top 10 favorite books, like that kind of stuff, Mm. which is more top, top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that brought in high leverage. So like the traffic wasn't necessarily like insane, but it started building that brand. That's how it qualifies. Um, And then the other thing that started happening um, was we were just like, people would ask us advice all the time. Mm -hmm. And I normally, like, even if I knew they were going to give us no money in the near future, even the long-term future, I was like, sure, I'll get on the phone with them. And now it's like, like hook up to ProfitWell. Yeah. Like no, because I think just on that from the outside perspective, I think I have no idea what your marketing has been, but I know that you you built up this resource where if you're thinking about subscription based pricing, yeah, it seemed to be you or Patrick is the pricing guy, and that seems to be the brand that you've built through mm-hmm. through content. Totally. Yeah. And is you it, have this unique view on because of the because of the products you have on the subscription economy, and what are the what are the good and bad things that you see in the current going into 2018 market. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's unique Give us or, to be, give it to to us be frank. Yeah. But uh, I do think it's it's just what the data is saying. Sure, what does right? it say? And so I think we're living in this like funny world where you know on the, the venture side, it's like, oh, bubble, not bubble. Like there's this huge like, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think the debate really matters. Like it yeah. matters like obviously for like companies that are raising heavy, but I think for the he most part- He pointed at me when he said that. Yeah, like I indicated your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think uh, what typically happens is like it's CACs are going up. CAC mm-hmm. is up 50% over the past so five that's years. So cost, acqui- cost, cost of acquisition is up. Yep. So that customer that costs you $100. Do you have any idea why? Like it's just because there's density, more- Density, man. Like there's, there's more so stuff. much density, Yeah, I have right? 58 ways you could talk to me on my phone. Totally. And, yeah. Well, and oh, here's, no. here's the problem. Here's the competitors? problem. Competitors? Mm-hmm. I just meant like my, I, I just meant my, like Mindshare. I think the thing that I think about a lot is there's- there's a million channels, right? Like the totally. example is like if you were, if this was the late '90s, uh, early 2000s, right? And you were doing email marketing, you're probably the first person in the world to do email marketing. You probably got 90% open rates, yeah. 70% click rates. Now there's a hundred different channels that that I'm on every single day. How do you know where to reach me? But here's as, as a buyer? here's the problem. Yeah. You're totally right, but it's a conflation of a couple of things. Okay. One, there's density from just the amount, like think of content. Mm. Like it used to be you put out a good blog post and you were like, God, right? right. Or there was there was maybe two new companies on TechCrunch every week. Totally, now there's right? a whole site product no, where there's right? 100 a day. And now that's happening while you have competition happening. Mm-hmm. So there's 8,000 companies now dedicated to growing, yeah. right? If you look at their H1s and their websites, it's all something about growth, right? Mm-hmm. Like 8,000 of those. In addition to that, channels have leveled off. So it used to be back in the early email marketing days, we were getting a brand new big channel every quarter. Mm. Like every single quarter, we're getting a Google and AdWords, like we were all coming online. Now the average number of, um, for the past five years, the average number of channels that are being utilized in the business Mm -hmm. is about 13. Mm -hmm. And it stayed consistent over the past five years. Mm -hmm. And so that's happening. And then all of a sudden, the other thing that's happening because of all that competition is willingness to pay is declining. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen this in the data, like, We've got a million data points on this, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden all this cost is going up, 
willingness to pay for features because they're relatively easy to build, right? We're all building quicker. Mm-hmm. That's gone down. And then to top it all off, consumers aren't happy. Yeah, and I'd add one more thing, which is more money has moved in yeah. to take the arbitrage out of those 13 channels. or Totally. So. You talk about this. So this is interesting. I didn't see the connection, but Mm -hmm. all the stuff he said is basically what you've been saying, which is the whole SaaS is a commodity, right? It's a commodity and more money has moved in and then more money is competing for the same number of channels and the same people. And so like then the arbitrage, aka the opportunity in those channels goes away, right? It flattens. Why is this whole... This whole genre of fitness and and health and mindfulness, like, do you feel like this is something that that is bubbling up over the last couple of years? And like, wh- why do you think that has become the case? Where this wasn't something that everyone was, you know, writing about, blogging about, podcasting about, you know, five, six, ten years ago. I think it feels like this is a this is a key topic now. I mean, it's why it's why our podcast exists. It's you know, Rich, the the the, the mantra of everything that you do. You know, Brad, with with you know your your last book. Like, it seems to be that this is something happened in the last couple of years where this is now a topic that everyone is concerned about. That's a great question. Um, certainly, you know, undoubtedly, wellness is having a moment. Um, I would contend that that it started, you know, perhaps a couple of years prior to that. But you know, definitely, you know, subject matters related to wellness, fitness, well-being, mindfulness, meditation, even minimalism, all of these kind of lifestyle ideas are very much part of the zeitgeist discussion at the moment. And as for why that is. I think it's a function of, of a number of things. I think it's a function of millennials coming of age uh, who were raised on the internet and have a, a, a different perspective on, on uh, you know, seeking purpose and meaning throughout through their careers where there's a priority and a premium placed on, on you know, enjoying what you do, on giving back, on taking care of oneself that perhaps was less important uh, amongst my generation being a Gen Xer. And then with the Gen Xers, you know, coming into their 40s and their 50s and, and, you know, trying to figure out how to extend their life and and be fulfilled and and engaged in their careers in a way that perhaps their parents weren't, I think begs the question of of wellness and how to take care of oneself as opposed to just settling into the into the lazy boy chair for, you know, 20 years of, of reruns. Um, and I think on top of that, you know, the internet with its, you know, access to, you know, every bit of knowledge that we would ever want or need um, has fueled, I think, an undercurrent of interest in how we can better take care of ourselves. Same thing with you, Brad. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great answer. I, 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 don't, I don't have much to add. Um, I think, I think Rich hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, the the only other thing that I would say maybe is, well, it definitely seems like wellness is having a moment. I, I think that there is still a lot of noise in order to find the signal. Uh, I know it's something that we briefly discussed the last time I was on the show, but, um, you know, people, something for nothing never gets old. And I think that for every, you know, one good podcast or really good book with insights that, that will work, there are... 10 to 50 to 100, hack your way to growth, um, wear this magnetic bracelet, wear this thing on your head and your brain will improve. Um, cause the truth is a lot, a lot of people want wellness, but it's, it's really not about a quick fix. It's about a, a lifestyle and, um, 
and it's tough, especially if you're not coming from a place of wellness. So, so, so I want to shift. Let, let's shift from talking about like the people side of it. I mean, DC, we have we have Amy on here. We have to dig into we have to dig into her life. Please, like, oh no, it's not often <laughs> we talk to people at this level. So, what what is what is like what's a what's a what's a day in your life, week in your life, like right now? Like you, you know, building a company, um, sitting on a bunch of boards. Like what? It, like how do you how do you try to prioritize your time? Because obviously, you're you're getting a million requests. You're getting pulled in a million different directions. Like, what are your kind of like? Do you have any any, I guess, like first principles for yourself almost for how you're thinking about your time and your, your days and your I weeks. I do. And I, I, you know, continuously want to try to be more deliberate about it. So one of the things my co-founder, uh, Matthias Rule said when we started this company was one of my favorite things about starting something or being at an early stage company is you wake up Monday morning and you have no idea what you will have had to learn by Friday. And the thrilling thing is there is something every single week that you did not know how to do or did, you just didn't know about, right? You didn't know how to make the decision as of Monday that you have learned by Friday. And that is, that is why I do this. That is a big part of it. I, I love that part of it. And so alongside that, whatever the learning, the big learning is for that week or whatever it is that I wake up not knowing on Monday, I want to check by Friday that, you know, we figured it out and we have a way to do it. Um, one of the things I try to do every morning, and I don't, I don't actually get to it every morning, but eight or nine mornings out of 10, right? I will meditate and that is massively helpful. So I, I don't know if you guys kind of look at Myers-Briggs typing at all as a communication method or tool, but I'm ENTJ. We're obsessed with it. <laughs> You're what? ENTJ? Yes, I'm ENTJ. Which means okay. I'm in- okay, I was going to say... D- DC is an INTJ, and if, if you were also an INTJ, I was gonna have to hang up and be done. You're not the, you're not allowed the earth the, the earth the earth does not let you. <laughs> oh, the INTJs are demanding. Impatient. You're just the ex, you're just the yes. extroverted version. I'm the no, she's the commander. Louder. She's the commander. But yeah. I, I'm. Wait, uh, DC, t- talk, t- tell her about, uh, t- talk about like, we, we do actually use, we're, we're heavy on personality nice. uh, tests and, and we, we just started to use um, something here at Drift. Yeah. Yeah, we use, uh, so I've been obsessed with them a long time. We use uh, Predictive Index, which is a little bit different. Um, so I've used Meyer Briggs, I've used uh, Disk Assessment, Strengths Finders, like every, every single one of them I've obsessed. But this is fascinating. So Amy is known as the commander. ENTJ personality. AKA the pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I wish I was the commander. We, at, do you we, know what we, we do, which I think is so funny? So you know the Star Wars um, Myers-Briggs typing chart? So there's Chewbacca no, on there. That. There's Princess Leia, Darth Vader. Yeah, everybody. Okay, so everybody's on there. Mm. So when we, so if you want to, when you come in, you can take the MBTI test, right? And then you can mark down which one you are. And so we're trying to have personality and communication style diversity in the company too, right? Because one of the things that we want to do, so it's kind of like, oh, we don't have an Ewok. We need an Ewok, which is silly, but it's more emblematic of, hey, there's nobody who brings this point of view, right? There's there's no one who's um, ESFP on our team. I wonder what we're missing as a result and what we're what we're missing from our customer communication standpoint, et cetera, as a result of not having that person. Let's just be cognizant of the fact that we have a small hole there. But beyond that, we actually use it uh, for stress response purposes. So one of the things that 
we do kind of once a year is we sit down as sub teams and then we sit down in locations and everybody goes around the table and reminds everyone, this is my MBA, MBTI type and my stress response looks like this. So some people say, mm-hmm. my stress response looks like me withdrawing into myself and I would get up and go for a walk. And if if uh, I just stop talking to you and I, I stop, I, I just, you know, I draw into myself, it means I'm stressed. Other people will say, if I start making really, really stupid jokes, like silly, stupid jokes in times of high stress, it's not because I'm disregarding the fact that some system is down. It's because that's how I cope with stress. I have to joke or else I can't cope, right? And that was a massive learning for a bunch of us because there was a person on the team who, whenever systems went down, would get go into joke mode. And uh, some of us thought that was kind of A, insensitive to other people mm-hmm. who are trying to handle the problem, but B, just like a totally weird response to have to something so serious. And then when this person explained, this is my stress response, so I too am stressed, that's just, this is what it looks like. I think everybody went, oh, and a light bulb went off. So now when the person goes into this mode, we all know, ah, okay, they're stressed too, right? So don't, 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 uh, don't get mad that they just made a joke about this. Just understand this is how they deal with it. So without like, all right, so, so somebody's listening right now, they're, you know, they're, they're at the gym, they're, they're on their commute, you know, shout out to all the Seeking Wisdom listeners. But like, what, what is that? Like if you're, if you're in, cause, cause reps, you know, sales reps are still like coin driven, right? Like sales reps still want to make money. That's why they're in the game. Like what do you, what are you out there are telling them or, or talking to people about or shifting like in this world where like, Hey, you don't, you don't have all the power like you had 10 years ago, but there's obviously, it doesn't mean that sales reps aren't getting paid or aren't making money. Like the need for sales reps is still, you know, it's still just as high, but what, what's the biggest difference in how they're like, you know, forced to work every single day? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think that the biggest thing, because there's so many solutions and attention spans are so slim and, and, and you know, they're narrow margins there. The number one thing is you need to be able to overcome inertia, which is, you know, people, a lot of times people think of like a selling system and a lot of selling systems start at discovery. All right, you're sitting down with your customer and now you're going to go through your list of questions and you're going to find out what their pains are. And my feeling is like, you should be so lucky to be sitting down with a customer talking about their pains. You know, the customers are busy, way busier than they've ever been. So you need to figure out a way of getting your message to kind of pierce through the armor so that they even care to listen to you. And, you know, what I found, and certainly working with a lot of entrepreneurs, the way I think about messaging, and that's kind of really the tip of the spear, is that messaging is kind of like clothing. We get dressed, we look at ourselves in the mirror before we go out for the day, and we're like, we look good, I look good. And then we go out there, and we, we, we in the light of day, at the party we're going to at the venue, we realize, oh my gosh, I'm totally overdressed, or I'm totally underdressed, like this is not landing. And so we have to kind of reshuffle. Meanwhile, the idea, right, should be to to really not develop your messages in a vacuum, to think about how your message is going to pierce through, how you're getting your customer's attention, how you are differentiating yourself and disrupting that inertia. So I think that's that, you know, there's a lot of content that I talk about on cerebral selling, but that's probably one of the biggest areas is like, how do I overcome that inertia? Yeah. The, the other thing that this is so like one of the things that, that we talk a lot, and I, I love just like talking to our sales reps, just as a marketer, they, they're trying to sell to, to me basically. Right. And, um, 
one thing that is just a, a rant, but like one thing that drives me nuts about the traditional sales process is like so many reps today still are like, okay, great, Dave, you're on the call. You're going to go through my process right now. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions that I need to get you to the next step. Right. And that's just crazy because like, uh, like you said, like the discovery process is different now. Like I, I don't wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm browsing your business website. Like I'm on your website and I'm talking to you for a reason. Everyone's so damn busy. I'm not just taking a 30 minute call with you because I because it's fun like there's a clear need and so like I think the whole pro the whole process of like you have to go through my process I got to make sure I ask are you the decision maker do you have budget do you have needs it, like the whole band process like it just seems crazy but so many people are just have to stick to that script because that's what the model looks like yeah the I call it the polite interrogation it's like here's the list of questions that you will now answer <laughs> right. you know for me and like and that kind of kind of goes to the second piece which is is feelings. You know, I think about it as like a barometer. I did a little video on my YouTube page. Uh, I called it okay, not okay, which is a thing that has existed in sales for a long time, which is you're working with a sales rep. And uh, we've all worked with sales reps in our lives that at some point in that, that discourse made us feel not okay. Like you did something that was sleazy, or you said something, or you made me feel pressured, or you subjected me to a polite interrogation. And we have to be really conscious about how we're making customers feel because feelings is actually one of the, the biggest kind of drivers of, of selling and affinity, especially now, empathy, feelings. And so when you subject someone to your discovery list of questions, you make them feel not okay. And when they feel not okay, you erode the trust in that relationship. So you always have to be mindful of, you know, just because I have all these questions doesn't mean I'm going to you know, they're going to answer them. And so forming, you know, we always talk about being a trusted advisor and forming the trust and rapport in selling is really important, but it has never been more important than it is now. All right, I love let's it. get into let's it. Let's talk about the six things. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them and I want you to do the, I'm going to run through the six principles and you, you narrate. He's quizzing me. You narrate. No, no, I'm going to tell you what they are. You just comment. Okay. So there's six there's six principles, right? And they're basically all these automatic behaviors that we have. So number one, reciprocity, okay? He says, we all have a natural obligation to mm -hmm. reciprocate. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you in, a, in from a marketing perspective? Yeah, so the way, a great example of reciprocity is, uh, have you ever been over to, DHG's too young, so she hasn't been, have you ever been over to Costco? I have. Okay. So you go to Costco. But I don't know where you're going with this. Okay, you go into Costco. Yeah. And uh, you walk around. And there are all these people that are sitting there with little tasters. The samples? The samples, right? So you go up to the samples. I never thought of the samples as reciprocity. Come on, man. Damn. Uh, you go up to the samples. So you go into Costco and they have these people that are standing that are free samples. And it'll be samples of chips, samples of drinks, samples of candy, samples of heated food, frozen food. And what they're doing, because Costco got that from, uh, from you know who they got that from? Who? Sam Walton. Pretty good. Walmart. Pretty okay. Good. So they got that. And so what that is, is an example of reciprocity. If you take a sample from someone, mm. you're more inclined to want to do business with that person mm -hmm. or want to even buy that product. Mm. That is why they have those samples out there. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of reciprocity. He says another person can trigger a feeling of indebtedness by doing us an uninvited favor. So even if the favor is uninvited, mm -hmm. even if you didn't want it, mm -hmm. if I say, hey, you go have this. Mm -hmm. then and that's like we're willing to do something. I'm willing to do something for anyone who leaves a six-star review. Uh, shouts out Amy I'm, and DHD in no, there. No, in, in all honesty, that's why, that's why we're okay with spending a bunch of money buying books and giving them away because you're going to help spread the word for the show. Yep. We're going to give you this book. Exactly. All it's right. just goodness. 
uh, so number one, reciprocity. Number two, by the way, this is like this. You don't have to read the book. You have to read the book, but we're giving it to you. It's okay. okay you don't num- have to read it. We're number one, it. number one, reciprocity. And by the way, this is literally a, a, a checklist that Cialdini gave me, gave us. He gave mm-hmm. us a card. Yeah. It's on my desk now. This is every, if you know one you thing about seen, marketing. You should have seen. It was the coolest you thing. You should have seen it was the coolest thing. I should get He was it. like a little kid. He gave me this little card. His had eyes these six. were shiny. I keep he it was... in my notebook. You don't need anything else. You follow these six things. So number one, I was amazing. I was it amazing. was like Santa Claus. It was really cool. It was really cool. Number one, reciprocity. Number two is social proof. Mm. Come on. This is proof. one that seems so obvious to marketers, but how many websites do you go to? How many landing pages do you go to that there's no Almost social all proof? Of them. All of them. All the bad ones. Even, so, even the first versions of most of our pages. And one of the first things that I point out is that we need social proof. So an example faces. of social proof is you need faces and testimonials, right? You need, if you've ever watched an, an infomercial, uh, you know that 80% of the infomercial, if not 90% of the infomercial is testimonials, uh-huh. right? At one after uh-huh. another, after another, after another, You know another, who is a another. legendary testimonial guy? Who? A legendary social proof. Who? Billy Mays. Billy Mays. Testimony, testimony, testimony. DHD is too young for that. She's like, what? What's Billy the, what Mays. What's an infomercial? Billy Mays would literally smash his foot with a hammer to uh-huh. show you that his foot was not getting injured. Yeah. That is social proof. He would seal up a thing and then put water in it yeah, and yeah. show you. Yeah, the testimonials were the social proof. So that's the social proof. So everything has to have social proof because we make decisions based on that. If you go to amazon.com and you go buy a product, you will see uh, the ratings and reviews. And the reason the ratings and reviews are there are to trigger social proof. Social proof number two. Actually, almost all of these things that we're talking about- Amazon. Is on the Amazon product page. And so we'll maybe, if you're good, we'll give you an example of, we did a mock-up, I did a a markup of an Amazon page Mm. showing, this was internal only at Drift, showing people how- uh, all of these things are triggered yeah. on every Amazon page, mm-hmm. and and so so Cialdini is a uh, he's a he's a he's a doctor he's a psychologist mm-hmm. right PhD, and he said that the the scientific definition is uh, one means we use to determine what is correct is to find out what other people think is correct mm-hmm. right so if you're making a decision show me the ten people who already did this I'm more likely to do it so that's number two social proof number three is really underrated I think not a lot of people talk about this one and this one is commitment. Mm. <laughs> you remember this one? Uh, yeah, I remember all of these. <laughs> I know so, you do. <laughs> so commitment. Uh, Charlie Munger would call this commitment consistency bias. Yes. Right? If you look at that. I can't believe pretty the, good. Young, That's the young pretty guy good. trying to, That's trying pretty to quiz good. me. Trying to quiz me, me on cognitive bias. Elias, come in here. Elias, come in here. We're talking about Cialdini. Oh, when you guys met him? Yeah. What happened with Cialdini? We're just talking about his book. This, the principles, social proof, con- commitment, reciprocity. Elias is shy. This is the first time he's ever been shy. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. like this is a live broadcast. All right. <laughs> so uh, commitment consistency. This yeah. is how we do things here at yeah. Drift. Uh, commitment consistency bias. Yes. So the bias here is, in the way that Charlie Munger describes it, is that once we, have ma- once we make a decision, we are more likely to stick to our decisions and be stubborn about that decision, and that's called commitment consistency. So the more, as, as soon as we make a commitment, we have a bias mm. to want to stick to that commitment and not retreat from that. This is why the gym membership thing is such a powerful model, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Because the gym membership thing is a perfect example here, right? So gym membership, the way the, that model works is that you join, and somewhere like a Planet Fitness, which is big in the United States, you go, it's like $9.99 a month, $9.99. It costs nothing. Nothing. But 
once you've made that commitment, you almost never cancel because in the mind, and this is commitment bias, in the mind you think, mm. I'm going to go next week. I'm going to go next month. Yeah. Why would I cancel it? It's just too much worry. Or you don't cancel because you don't want what canceling your membership says, says right? about you. You might have mm. never gone. You might have never gone to the gym once in that yeah, year. Yeah. But if don't you cancel it, you I'm not looking at you. If you cancel <laughs> it, if you cancel it, then you know that the chance is never going to happen. And so by keeping your membership open, you know you're more likely to go. I have, you know, I went Commitment to the gym bias. today. You did? Yeah, YMCA. Respect. Respect. Ooh, <laughs> okay. All the right. Y, what's up? I also belong to the Equinox, okay. yeah, but I went to the Y. All right. So uh, reciprocity, number one, social proof, number two, commitment, number three, number four is authority. And the point that he makes with authority is that we're all influenced by authority, even if we don't know it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so this is like getting higher, you know, people with bigger job titles or, 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 you know, pushing, you know, messages from, from the president or, or the CEO or, yeah. you know, putting your face on a letter that we write out yeah. to people. And right? so, so perfect combination of the authority bias and the social proof bias is that, You'll try to get someone, imagine that this book, on the book page, that there was a testimonial from a former president. Come on. Right? And so that's, that hits two things, authority yeah. bias oh, I didn't even think and of social proof bias. Right? So you got social proof and you have authority mix in there. And so that's why people tend to choose people with elevated status, mm. whether it's uh, professionals, uh, influencers, or business people, it's because it's hitting on multiple biases. Because he, he says, he says we all fall for the even the perception mm-hmm. of authority. Authority, yep. Yeah. It always works. Which is one of my pet peeves, which is the six-person startup where everyone is a VP or C-level person. That's the- Not that's here. Not here. Okay, scarcity. Scarcity, come on. You right. could do a, you could do an hour. You could yeah. do it. How many texts have you sent me in my life about scarcity? Scarcity. Everyone forgets the scarcity yeah. part. So again, a perfect example of this. Go to Amazon. Go to a product listing page, and often on that product listing page, you'll see a little thing that's under right at the top. And you know what that little thing says? It says, "Only two left. Mm. We'll we'll be getting more. We'll get more next week. But two two items are left, and uh, and what that triggers in you is that they're going to run out." So, but they hit you with another thing. They don't, it's not misleading. It's not saying, I'm never going to get any of these. We're going to get more next week. But if you want this this week, uh, we only have two left. Yeah, if you want it in your house by Saturday, you better, you better get it now. Exactly. And then they trigger it again one other way, which is if you order in the next one hour, we can have this to you by tomorrow, mm. right? And if you order two hours later, it's going to take two days. Urgency and scarcity Urgency in one and scarcity bucket together. So, but what what I learned from this, and then and then thinking about how we apply this is, he says that the law. It's actually the thing with scarcity is the loss is more powerful than the gain. Mm-hmm. It's people say, yeah, what we miss out on the potential loss is what drives the behavior. Mm-hmm. Not that I have to get this so bad, yeah. but oh my god, I'm going to miss out. Am I going to miss out on this if I don't get it now? Absolutely. I think uh, Charlie Munger calls that loss aversion. So one of the things that we don't want is forget the gain. We're more scared of loss. Mm-hmm. Right, so loss of status or loss of yeah. an opportunity. I mean, it's the same same thing, right? Like in your in in one of your new favorite books, like Relentless, and your guy Tim Grover, right? If you talk to somebody like Michael Jordan, did Michael Jordan love winning so much, or did he hate losing? He hated losing. Hated losing. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one, Me number too. number six. I know number number six, and then we're out here because we just broke down the whole book. Number All six right. is liking. Mm-hmm. People are easily persuaded by other people that they like. Yes, and so uh, liking bias, I think. I'm trying to remember what Charlie Munger calls this, but this is uh, one of his as well. All of these are, are part of his, and then he expands into 25, right? This is only six. So liking bias. Mm-hmm. Liking is um, the more, this one is interesting, because the more likable someone seems to you, 
and might be totally un- uh, someone that someone else would not like, the more willing you're uh, to do business with them or to do something with them. Yeah, right? this is why this is why like those um, MLMs, like the multi-level marketing mm-hmm. things, this is why they work so well, right? Yeah. The Mary Kay, the Tupperware, the whatever, because it's usually from somebody that you're friends with. Totally. And this is actually one, the reverse of this is something that we're, that I'm always talking about internally here, which is one of the traps that we fall in with this bias right here, this liking bias, mm-hmm. is that we are often, all of us are often unwilling to learn from people that we don't like because of this bias. Mm-hmm. 